Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode number 95. And tonight's guest is Dr. Tanya Glenn. Dr. Glenn runs a mental health service in the Austin, Texas area. Um, she has spent the last 30 years uh, treating first responders, firefighters, cops, and military, both active and veteran. Uh, we had a great conversation. Um, yeah, so I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you learned something from it. Um, remember to like and subscribe and all that stuff if you're watching on YouTube. Um, yeah, so here you go. Episode 95 with Dr. Tanya Glenn. Hey. Yeah, that's uh, one of the joys of recording this stuff at home, you know, having the podcast studio in my house and especially yeah. in my basement is the dogs are, you know, uh -huh. they'll run or if, you know, Rachel's home or whatever. And it's like, okay, you, you yeah. can't take a shower between this time and this time. Yeah, exactly. We're going to hear it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you hear the water running. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, Tanya, thanks for coming on the show. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, um, let people know what you do. If they're unfamiliar, I don't really know how anybody could be unfamiliar with you, but uh, um, yeah, so let's just get started. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Um, it's, a, it's an honor to be on. So I'm Tanya Glenn. Um, I am from the Austin, Texas area, and um, I am a therapist who has treated first responders and veterans for 30 years. So I've got a private practice and um, I uh, absolutely love what I do. And my, my specialty is post-traumatic stress disorder. So treating, mitigating, preventing PTSD. And, uh, and it has been a wild ride, um, a 30 year or so far wild ride. Um, I started uh, when I was young, I went to Oklahoma City after the bombing and worked with fire and police after that, went to New York after 9-11 for NYPD. I was with uh, Katrina for three weeks working with federal law enforcement down in the French Quarter. I was in Dallas uh, when the officers were killed in 2016 and uh, Fort Lauderdale after an active shooter. And then most recently, Uvalde. So um, it's been busy. Uh, there have been many good lessons along the way, and I'm always excited to share uh, my lessons learned. Well, we are excited to hear them. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. I, so also you, you left out, you've written several books. Oh, yeah. In my spare time between <laughs> yeah. 2 and 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what's spare time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I usually, I write actually during the holidays because it's the only time my schedule slows down, believe it or not. Um, and so it, it gives me the chance to really like get focused on writing and get it done before the new year starts and things go crazy again. So it's always done during, you know, during the holidays, but yeah, I've, I really enjoyed writing the books. I thought I was one and done and I've written eight. The ninth <laughs> one is in my brain now. Um, and so I'll be writing it this fall and, uh, and finishing up hopefully right around new year's for the next one. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've read several of them and, uh, I, I enjoyed them all immensely. So, um, I really like, you know, and a Obviously, I've seen you on other podcasts, and my wife speaks very highly of you, and she's actually how I kind of found you. She gave me several of your books. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan, to say the Thank least. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I definitely write from the heart, and I write for first responders who have um, 
not a lot of spare time and also have short attention spans. So my writing style is perfect for y'all. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy there. Well, you know. <laughs> no, well, you know what, though, that brings up a, a very good point and something that I kind of wanted to ask you about is because, you know, first responders, we're very task oriented and that short attention span of we show up on scene and we mitigate the problem or whatever. And I know for a lot of us, whenever we go to treatment, that if it doesn't work, you know, first time out then it's like, oh, well, therapy doesn't work or whatever. How do you kind of get people to get that buy-in to maybe come back for that, you know, second appointment, third appointment, fourth appointment, you know, that it is, let them know that it is a process. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the best way with first responders is just to be very direct. And, you know, by the end of the first session, um, my team members and I, we're all, we're all very, you know, sort of used to that that first responder mentality of fix me yesterday and so <laughs> i really like to say okay here's what i think here's where we are um here's where i think we should go with this um we tend to try to kind of estimate we're probably looking at this amount of time to get you there um you're going to have a lot of homework but if you if you want to get to this end goal or to this place of of healing or growth or serenity or you know or 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 just you know feeling better um we can we can definitely get you there um and you know that's that, i just think that I, I call it rather than a treatment plan i call it the plan of attack and um that is just the language of, of first responders is to is to generate a plan of attack and then to go for it and, and adjust of course as needed um so we were really work on um, if people's resilience is low, we give lots of resilience homework, not overwhelming homework. Sometimes it's just very simple, like, can you add eight ounces of water to your day every day this week and 100 steps on that Fitbit? And, you know, maybe we're going to add the following week 16 ounces of water a day, 200 steps and 30 extra minutes of sleep that night. And so it basically is we start with really tangible, doable goals that people can achieve. And as they start to achieve them, they start to feel better. And then there's more buy-in. So it's it's kind of, we, we, we approach it from every direction we can to figure out what the best plan of attack is for each person. And that's that's how we do it. Well, that's yeah. good. Uh, yeah, because we are very results driven. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It seems like so. Yeah, I mean, those therapists who want to spend like six sessions on your history, that's never going to work <laughs> for that. That's like mind blowing for a first responder. Like what, you know, it's like, let's get through your history quickly and let's, let's hit the high points that I need to know that are relevant to what's going on versus, okay, next week we're going to talk about your mom. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> and yeah. I'm out. And I'm out. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's uh, and I talked to people, I had a friend of mine who went through the EAP program that we have with our department, and that was a lot of what he was butting up against. It was mm -hmm. just the therapist just really didn't know how to talk to a fireman. And mm -hmm. it was like, okay, well, this session and then this session and this and that. And he's like, we're not even talking about, yeah. you know, anything. And right. I'm not getting any better. And it's like, uh, dude, yeah. just find another therapist. Absolutely. And people have to be brave enough to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, finding a therapist, it's like shopping for a new car. You may have to test drive a few. 
and kind of get their philosophy on, you know, helping and how, how many first responders they've treated and what their knowledge base is of, of treating first responders. Um, my analogy I like to use is, um, so you have a hard landing in a plane and the um, overhead bins open and the luggage flies out. Mm -hmm. So a traditional therapist will want to go through your luggage and unpack all your dirty laundry and repack it. And first responders who have to go to work in, you know, in, in 48 hours, um, they need a therapist who can help them get the baggage back up in the overhead bin and slam it shut and, and get them back on the line. And so, you know, they going through all the old dirty laundry is not, is not what, you know, most, most folks need. It's kind of a luxury to have that much time these days, especially with just how crazy, you know, society is and the tempo is and, you know, so, so yeah, so you, you know, they, they want to move through it and they expect their therapist to move them through it. So if you find one that, that can't do that, you gotta, you gotta keep looking. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, from our point of view, our call volumes, I, I'm sure down there too, with your EMS and police and fire has drastically went up in the past mm -hmm. five years or so. Mm -hmm. And staffing has went down. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I, we can't afford to not be at work, you know? Right. So obviously we need to figure out something where we can fix ourselves and still be able to go to work and show up. Right. So, right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Which is probably not the best thing, <laughs> but it's our I reality mean, though, isn't it? it? Yeah. I mean, it's reality. You know? We have yeah. to deal, we have to deal with the world, how it is, not how we wish it would be. Exactly. Um, exactly. So and mm -hmm. there's another thing that I kind of wanted to shifting top, not mm -hmm. really shifting topics, but kind of uh, going along with that um, about the stigma of mental health within the fire service, the police department, and especially the police department, because we had a guest on the other day and he was talking about how whenever he had kind of started posting some stuff on social media about mental health and stuff. Um, he had actually had a member of his command staff reach out to him and tell him, you need to take that stuff down because it makes you look bad in court. Yeah. So, oh. and I know for firefighters, it's different. We don't necessarily have to worry about that court side of it. Mm -hmm. um, have you run into that or how do, how do they navigate that? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I just did an interview uh, last night that's, that's a, it's a national interview. It should be coming out Tuesday. And we were talking about command staff and the, the way we were talking about how, you know, when I start with a new customer, we have, let's say we have a new contract with a police department. If the chief stands up and says, I want you to get help. I got help. I believe in this. There's, there's, there are no repercussions for getting help. Please get help. Please, please, if you are struggling, please do what you need to do, but contact these people and get help. It, it's amazing how many officers will come in and, and like right away and start scheduling. If a chief says, you know, here's this resource in case you need it, read between the lines. If you're weak and you can't handle it, if they don't believe in mental health, it is, is a very, very long time before the first officer will come in and then they come, they come in and, you know, when they realize that their information's not out there and nobody knows that um, they came to see us, then maybe they'll tell another officer. And it's like a trickle compared to mm -hmm. like a, a super a flow of, yeah. of referrals. And when 
I think that when command takes the approach that this would make you look bad in court, like I, I don't think that posting about mental health awareness makes anybody look bad. I think that if if the officer didn't post something horrible or egregious, like you know, sometimes I think I'm going to kill my wife or something like that, then then that's you know, it, it's amazing that that there's that that mindset still of um, and and the stigma that goes along with that. As much as we know about trauma and stress and the human brain and body and what happens to you, and then how to how to basically combat it, um, that's just it's, it's mind blowing. Yeah, mind blowing yeah. and disheartening. Yeah, it is. Uh, especially it is. from, you know, a leadership standard of standpoint of you want to take care of your people. You want them to be happy, healthy, productive. Right. And I mean, yeah, it was, uh, it was disheartening to hear that. Absolutely. So, and I mean, I read a study just the other day um, from the University of British Columbia, and it was a survey of firefighters about seeking mental health, mental health help and 90% wouldn't do it because of the stigma. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think, at least from my point of view, I think it's getting better. Mm -hmm. But I think we're 20 years behind Absolutely. where we need to be. Yeah. And, you know, and you kind of probably speak on this a little bit better than I can. But it just seems like there's a, a shortage of good clinicians out there, or even just clinicians in general, that we can go see waiting lines and, but that goes across all society. There's just not mm -hmm. enough therapists to go around for all those crazy people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, how, how do we fight that? How do we combat that? You know, in 2020, cause 2020 was so awful, um, all the way around between society and the pandemic, I wrote the book, um, smashing the stigma and changing the culture and emergency services. And I talked, I talk in the book about where stigma, uh, where it came from, and then how it has perpetuated in police, fire, and EMS. And the main reason it's perpetuated. So it used to be that any mental health was very, very stigmatized. Like it was, um, it was taboo, right? And you know, you remember like the old um, state hospitals with the wrought iron fences and the big gnarly trees that look like haunted houses. Oh yeah. And and then you know as we moved into especially like the 70s there's a lot of movement in terms of like what true mental health is and how we treat people and then of course it's just gotten more and more advanced in terms of treatment and good options and i think with general society the stigma has decreased a lot but with public safety it has continued because and this is the main reason is because so many police officers and firefighters have been like well maybe i'll try it and the therapist doesn't know what they're doing, right? Or you start describing like the normal shift of a firefighter and their jaw drops and they start crying. And it's like, well, I haven't even gotten to my my crappy call that I wanna really talk about, you know? <laughs> exactly. So, so without any resources, it is very much suck it up, right? And so, so that is, I think, what has perpetuated along with some leadership. And, and I really, I wrote that book really directed at chiefs and directors uh, on like get it together and and stop the nonsense of punishing your people for getting help i in chapter six of that book i i outlined two off-duty events with very different outcomes based on the culture of the department um i mean good outcomes for both the both the traumas but really different journeys getting to the the end end game one was one was suspended for two months and the other had immediate help right away no problem no repercussions right 
And so, and, and I chose off-duty events because I wanted to point out to chiefs and directors that even if it's off-duty, it's still coming to work. It, your trauma always follows you to work, whether you're going through a horrible divorce or you know your kid had an accident, it's coming with you to work. And I still run into chiefs and directors who say, you know, that was off duty, it's not my problem, or that was when he was in the Marine Corps, it's not my problem, but yeah, it is, it is yours. Yeah. And so I really, in that book, point out like where, why it's perpetuated, and then of course, solutions and answers. And I think the key is, and this is why I've, I've loved getting to know Rachel, um, is because Rachel started with a like a like a spark of passion, and then over over time, I've kind of mentored her along the way here and there. She's very um, she's amazing, and she she has a good sense of where she's going. But I've really loved working with Rachel because when we first started talking, I mean, she was just absorbing everything and reading all my books. And she's she's the kind of of person that you want to incorporate into your mental health system. It's, it may be that they're learning about trauma and they're not quite as savvy as someone like me, but if they love firefighters and if they want to come to dinner or if they want to go right out with a police officer and they're super excited to do it, that's how we cultivate the, the mental health people to be the right people for you guys. Right, absolutely. And yeah. I, I think that's very important to, to have the right people there to provide those services because if they don't, you know, and, and I've talked to other clinicians and therapists and, you know, it's split down the middle of, well, you don't have to be culturally competent. Yes, you do. But, you know, whatever. I'm not going to debate that. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> well, by all means, what do you have to say? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I, you know what? I, uh, I always know I've done my job when my book pisses off therapists <laughs> because I'm like, you should not be doing this if you've never been on a ride along. If you've never been in a patrol car, if you've never been on a fire truck or the back of an ambulance, you have no business doing this. And and some people get real pissy and give me like crappy reviews on Amazon. I'm like, whatever, whatever. You know, I, I stand by everything I write in terms of what clinicians need to be doing, because I don't think you have any business working with this population if you have no idea what they do. Uh, you know, and, and I would agree with you 100 percent, because the potential to, like you said, have a bad outcome. Um, and turn somebody off from therapy, especially with our population is very high. I would say right. probably higher than the average. Right. You know? Yes. It is, it is really challenging for us when we get a referral who has had bad therapy or bad EMDR. Um, boy, it is, we're starting not at ground zero, we're in the red. And so, you know, first there's like this very, very strong skepticism and fear and disdain and you know, this other, these other two, three people didn't help me. What makes you different? And so we're starting with even just having to build kind of more rapport than normal, than a normal patient uh, who's just coming in, never having experienced therapy. Yeah. It's well, and you know, from a, for us, or at least from my perspective, it's a, it's a trust issue mm -hmm. because the people right. that we, you know, have to trust on a day in and day out basis that we work with, we're trusting them. I mean, it's, not out of the realm of possibility say we're trusting them with our lives right every day you know and to be able to be vulnerable and open up to a therapist which is way more scary than trusting somebody to pull me out of a fire you know mm -hmm. for most of us i mean that just takes a huge amount of trust you have to build that rapport somehow 
Right. You know, and you, so you have to, the therapist has to understand of, right. you know, that that's how big of an issue it is. Right. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, um, when I came back from Dallas after the officers were killed um, in July of 2016, um, so I was up there for several weeks and I really, I had a hard time uh, coming back because, and you know, I, I knew what I was going to get into in terms of like trauma for the officers. And that was, that was the best part of being there was helping the officers. And it was, it was really tough. Right. Um, and, and all of that work was amazing, but the part that got to me was, um, in the afternoon, I would go to the crime scene and it was July in Texas. So it's really hot. And I would stop at like seven 11 and I get, I wipe them out of like popsicles or Gatorade and, you know, all that stuff. And I would go out to the crime scene and I would, you know, hand out the, the Gatorade and the popsicles and stuff like that. And then I would climb under the crime scene tape and walk the two blocks up to my hotel. And it was all like the hatred and the vitriol and the screaming. And I didn't have anything police department related on, like not a shirt or anything like that and have an ID or anything. And it was like people screaming in my face about police officers and hatred. And when I came back, I'm like, I'm gonna jump on the couch. And I will tell you, I called a bunch of therapists and they're like, ooh, wow, Dallas. And it's like, I don't want to talk about what happened that night. I'm not going to talk about what it was like in the emergency room that night. I, I just need, I just need to lick my wounds and for somebody to tell me I did a good job. And every therapist I contact was like, Oh, Tanya, well, that's really a little too intense for me. And it's like, wow. So that's where we are, you know? And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I was just going to ask you that. I mean, with the, you know, just, treating first responders and veterans in general i mean i think you at least from our perspective you hit a higher volume or level of trauma than dealing with the average citizen but then on top of that you've been to all of those really big issues how do you keep yourself you know going and not just say all right i'm done i'm retiring it's it's over. Uh, I'm gonna go work at Starbucks or something. Right. Um, so I'll tell you, it's it's a few things, um, and I'll save the biggest reason for the end. Uh, so uh, number one, I work out every day. I I never skip the workout every day. That's like I clear my mind. I work through the demons. I make all my big decisions after I work out. But that's that's an essential part of every day. Um, number two, I had I had really kick-ass parents who were, I always say they were the perfect combination of kick-ass and kick your ass. And okay. my mom uh, is a World War II survivor. She was in Berlin as a child. And she, um, boy, she, she installed my resilience big time. And I think that has carried me through a lot of this. Um, the third thing is I have an amazing team and we, we laugh, we cry, we debrief, we, we really like we're really cohesive and I've got, you know, seven full-time people and it's just amazing um, to, to have that camaraderie and that love and the fun and the humor and just supporting each other through that. Along with that, I think that everything I've been through, it's like one thing prepares me for the next. So Oklahoma city prepared me for nine 11, right. Which yeah. prepared me in a way for Katrina. And so along the way, just jumping on it, the, the chance to have these experiences has built my resilience and my 
experience level to the point that walking into chaos is like it's like my forte kind of like you guys you know it's like that almost it's almost like the the more chaotic it is the better it feels to you because you're like got this <laughs> thing uh, <laughs> right? yeah that's that's your yeah. comfort zone yes <laughs> yeah. and then the biggest reason is that i so i would if i worked in hospice i would last half a day and then i would quit um but what i do is i take people who are amazing and who care for others and who are America's best people. And I work with them to heal. And then I watch them spread their wings and fly and they go back to work and they're happy and healthy and the family dynamics change. And then they refer others and watching my patients spread their wings and fly totally motivates me to keep going. It so really does. So wait just a second. So you're saying that if you have PTSD or depression or whatever, and then you go get help, mm -hmm. then you can live a full life afterwards. You really can. That's <laughs> so not crazy. over. You're not yeah. just a broken thing laying on the no. ground crying. Never, never, ever. Well, that's just that's great. That's. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, you can I, heal. You can recover. We can conquer that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and that's one of the things that we've been trying to focus on uh, on this podcast is the growth phase, you right. know, of after, you know, you go and get help and then you grow. I mean, you're going to be different, obviously. Right. But it doesn't mean different bad. It could be different right. better. Right. Um, but you can, you know, come through the other side. And I think that more than anything else, or well, at least from my perspective, that more than anything else is what needs to be kind of put in everybody's face of, Absolutely. Hey, if you go get help, this is what you can do, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I will tell you, that's why so many of my patients, they're like, Hey, if anybody is ever hesitant or afraid to come to therapy or just, just give them my name and number and, and I will tell them all about the process. Right. And so people, people do that all the time because they, they came in thinking there's, there's probably little hope for me. And then they realize, well, there's all kinds of solutions for me. Oh yeah. 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 There's all kinds of different therapy and you just got to find the one that works for you. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah just be stubborn like you are in everything else in life. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, why is that so hard for us to understand? I would love to know that. Like we're all type A personalities. Mm -hmm. We're go getters. We want to get mm -hmm. shit done. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the first time any little hurdle comes up, oh, well, fuck that. I'm not going to yeah. do it anymore. Exactly. Exactly. I give up. It's a hold yeah. on. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> hold on. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just reel them back in. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think I think part of that is fear. Like maybe this won't work for me. You know, what if I'm the what if I'm the one in one thousand that I I can't heal or I, you know, there's always that, you know, there's always that worry. Oh yeah. The it's well, and I think that a lot of us think that uh we're always the exception to the rule and i mm -hmm. think that goes back to the whole you know i'm not going to be the one that gets shot on duty i'm not going to be the one that gets trapped in a fire you know i'm not going to be the one to get in an accident and then whenever that stuff does happen i mean mm -hmm. it can be earth shade or earth shattering you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yes and you know being taught to always maintain control it feels it feels very awful, you know, coming to a therapy office and sitting in that waiting room that first time because 
you, you realize that you, you maybe don't have all the control you've, you've wanted and that you used to have. And it feels almost like you're about to give someone else your control, which you're not. We always tell our patients, you're in the driver's seat. You know, if you think I'm full of shit, you tell me and we'll redirect. But I think that a lot of people feel like if, if I go to therapy, I'm going to really lose control because somebody else is going to control me. And that's not at all what we want to do. Yeah. 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 And I think, well, I mean, you work with the, my population, so you kind of know we tend to uh, band-aid stuff together until it's, uh, you know, completely ripped apart. So it's not yeah. like we just go to therapy for maintenance or to be proactive and stay on top of stuff. We wait until yeah. the shit has proverbially hit the fan and everything is crashing down around us. And then we choose to go get help or we're Absolutely. forced to go get help. So Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had two patients who came in proactively and I was like, what? Wait, two, what? Two in 30 years. <laughs> and I'm like, what do I do with you? <laughs> Those are terrible odds. <laughs> Oh, so, well, that brings me to my next question. How do we uh, get people to start coming in proactively or do this proactively? I mean, is this like a department thing of they need to be pushing this whenever people get hired or even be, you know, part of their academies or just yeah. ongoing continuing education? Well, you know? I like to start in the academy. You know, when, when you're young, when you're a cadet or a recruit or a rookie, it's a really good time to impact you with really good education. And when we go through we, our presentation, it's two hours, it's called trauma and resilience. And we hit, we start with fight or flight. We're not talking about feelings, we're talking about fight or flight. And we link it through the four types of stress. We talk about PTSD mitigation, prevention, how to know if you're okay, how to know if you're in trouble, you know, how not to delay getting help because we can prevent it. We can catch it while it's post-traumatic stress syndrome versus the D disorder. So we go through all that. And then the, the flip side is we talk about resilience. But we do talk about like, you know, maintaining friend, friends, law abiding friends outside the job. Mm -hmm. And we talk about um, we talk about, you know, coming in proactively and really considering some things in their careers that, um, the, you know, the more seasoned people have not. That's a really cool way to get to get in quickly. Um, I'll tell you, I was contracted with the fourth Marine Division in 2005 and every day was a bad day in Iraq in 2005. Oh, and yeah. I used to I used to do these pre-deployment briefs with the Marines and I would get emails from them while they were deployed and it, would, it was so cute the email would always start with ma'am and then they, <laughs> then they would say everything you said in that brief I thought it will never happen to me and I want you to know that every single thing you mentioned has happened to me and I know I'm normal and I know what to do about it it's like you know, that pre-incident inoculation is so amazing. That's just, it's just resilience building. That's armor. And, yeah. and I think when you catch them young and you make counseling, okay. And you make it, you know, free and, and, you know, confidential, then yeah. they'll, they'll utilize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, is, that's the thing with catching them young and starting that culture shift. So, right. And it's one of those things where at least on departments that I'm aware of the the culture is not that way I mean we're right. starting to 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 trend in that direction but yeah. like I told you earlier I mean we're 20 years behind mm -hmm. and you know I read studies all the time and interviews all the time and it's it's just reinforcing that of mm -hmm. well yeah there's the stigma and then but you know and then but you see people um 
who have gone through stuff and come out the other side and it's like, Oh, Hey, you know, everybody's all great. Okay. Well, why don't you go to therapy? Cause I know that you're all fucked up too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I don't know where the, I was going with that. I, I do. I, <laughs> I, I do think that every first responder should definitely go into therapy the year before they retire. And, you know, the year before you retire, it's like, screw the stigma. I mean, what are they going to do? Like, you know, whatever. And yeah. so when you're that senior and you're, you're six months out, just go, like go and, and work through the demons. And because what happens to so many people after they retire is, you know, your schedule has changed and you, um, your, your, the camaraderie and the interaction with your fellow firefighters or police officers has really, you know, almost come to a stop, you know, and there's all this extra mm -hmm. time. And what happens is your brain's like, all right, here's all the bad shit that ever happened to you. Cause now you have time to deal with it. And of course, yeah. people who are isolated and don't understand why this is happening. A lot of them turn to alcohol. And so mm -hmm. we, I do get a lot of retirees that come in, but what I really want people to do is just before you retire, just go in. What do you have to lose at that point? Just, you know, I mean, fuck them. Uh, <laughs> come yeah. in, right? <laughs> exactly. Or how about, uh, you know, when you start or when you got five years on or 10 mm -hmm. years on and sure. don't, even better. Don't, yeah. Don't yeah. be the stereotype, you mm -hmm. know, copper firefighter who's, you know, oh, well, I've got uh, two divorces. I'm working on my third. Uh, mm -hmm. I drink every day, uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Don't yeah. be a stereotype. Right. You know, right. you can live a good life and still serve the public and do the stuff that we do. Right. Just be proactive. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's way better, way better than putting it off. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Just give your brain a chance to process this trauma. You know, what you all see is just the worst days of people's lives and the most abnormal shit and awfulness. And, you know, I mean, it's like, we, we stick you into that and we don't expect you all to have any problems. It's like, yep, you, we, we should expect you to have problems because of the things that we put you into. Yeah. Well, that's because, you know, if, if you have problems doing this, then you weren't cut out for it anyway. <laughs> you need to go do yeah. another job Yeah. <laughs> or at least that's what I've heard. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and I'll be perfectly honest. I bought into that for a long time until mm -hmm. I had my own issue. And then mm -hmm. thankfully I got my head out of my ass and I don't think that think like that anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's easy though, when everybody talks like that and says that, it's really easy to, to just have that mindset. Oh yeah. Right? But that's why that education early on is so important. That really powerful presentation, you know, that, that really, I mean, my presentation that we do, um, boy, at the end, you know, you know, if you have problems and you know exactly what to do, like you, you know, <laughs> you see, see a couple of the older guys sneaking out of the back of the yep, room. Totally. Yes. <laughs> getting angry and standing uh -huh. up and saying that's bullshit. And, yeah. Yeah. Or fidgeting. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've got a federal law enforcement agent in town currently. He's doing it. What we call a two day intensive for his trauma. And he's like, yeah, I don't know if we, if you noticed, but we, I was sitting in the front row when you did your presentation and and I was just staring at you the whole time thinking, man, I really need help because I'm screwed up. And I said, I either thought you, you needed help because you're screwed up and that's why you're staring at me. Or I was thinking you were thinking that I was full of shit. And he goes, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't quite tell, but I figured it was that you needed help, but I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. You usually the ones that, uh, you know, scream the loudest about how all that's bullshit are the ones that yeah. need the most help. Definitely. So. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Try to convince them as much as you can, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. It's all we can do, right? Yeah. All we can do. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's why we started this podcast in general is just, mm-hmm. you know, if we can raise awareness and help even one person, one other firefighter, one other cop, you know, one other veteran that to keep them from going down the path as far as any of us did, then that's right. a win for us, you know, Absolutely. and, mm-hmm. and really it's, we're talking to therapists. We talk to other firefighters. We talk to veterans. We talk to police officers, even, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they come on the show, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't invite them, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they come on anyway. <laughs> yeah. They come on anyway. It's like they own the place or something. I don't know. Uh, no, I kid. Uh, but you know, we, we talk to all of those people. And like I said earlier, we're trying to highlight the stories of yes, trauma happens and it happens to everybody. And you can go through some of the worst and see some of the worst stuff, but you can get through it. And, you know, here are the steps that I took to get through it. This is my story. And this is where I'm at, where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully it's, and, and I hear occasionally from people about, Hey man, uh, that episode really helped me or never, you never know which one it's going to be. It could be one where, you know, all three of us are sitting around and we're just shooting the shit talking about stuff. Cause we've had those episodes mm-hmm. and, but I'll get an email or I'll get a phone call of, Hey man, remember when you said this, that really helped. I'm like, mm-hmm. cool. You, you never know. So yeah, if I had to say anything or encourage anybody that is listening, you know, speak up. Absolutely. Yes. What, what's it going to cost you? Yep, exactly. Exactly. Right. Speak up. Right. Absolutely. And then, and then look out for each other. You know, I mean, you guys notice, you know, each other so well, you know, and you know, when things are off, you know, and, and rather than just kind of looking the other way and thinking, well, I don't know what to do or say, it's like, Hey, Hey, something's changed. You know, you don't, you don't work out with, with us anymore like you used to, or you're not coming, you're not at dinner with us, like what's going on. And just having that conversation really shows care and compassion, you know, and then we find the resources to, to make things happen. Yeah. I mean, because you would, we would do that at least on the fire department, if somebody was injured, mm-hmm. you know, right. like physically injured right. of, Oh, you, you broke your arm or you broke your leg or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, helped guys paint houses and, you know, Mm -hmm. mow grass and a myriad of things because guys have been injured. Right. Why can't we do that for mental health? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's the fear, the unknown, the lack of understanding, you know, well, and again, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I think the more people we get through successful therapy and good healing, and conquering trauma, the more it just, the more it spreads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and that brings me to another point and I want to get your, your take on this because we've talked about, you know, the difference between a mental health issue and a physical injury of, you know, you can, we can see the physical injury. We can see the broken arm. We can see the broken leg, all that stuff with the mental health issue or, you know, that type of thing you can't really see it mm-hmm. per se i mean if you're really looking for it i think you can mm-hmm. i think but it's more in the behaviors and things like that and you have to really know the person mm-hmm. so we've talked about how it's more easily abused 
and how that possibly kind of feeds into a little bit of that stigma type mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's uh boy, that's a tough one because that that's the one that pushes my buttons. Um, is if there's malingering, right? Mm -hmm. Or people abusing the mental health system in place or the benefits or leave or like medical retirements. Mm -hmm. Um that's it, it ruins it for others. Um, you know, I, I know of a firefighter who got a medical and a medical retirement and it was just he just didn't want to be a firefighter anymore and everybody knew it and it sure puts a, a really sour taste in everybody's mouth um, and it creates more stigma and more hatred and more distrust of the mental health process and i just um i feel like we have to be we have to have decent clinicians good clinicians who can hold people accountable for that and put a stop to it when it's going on we're good at detecting that stuff for the most part um, but I think that, you know, it's, it is definitely a morale buster and it's one, I think there has to be some accountability when it comes to, when we discover that, that that's going on, we don't just ignore it. There has to be, there has to be accountability when, when people do that. So I want you to remember it's 2022 and we can't hold people accountable anymore. No. <laughs> We're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I talk so much about leadership and stuff and about, you know, being accountable, not only to yourself, but um, to others and to mm -hmm. the people on your crew or whatever. And it's like, I'm talking to a brick wall because mm -hmm. there's, there's no way to enforce the accountability anymore, it seems like, mm -hmm. because right. if, if somebody doesn't want to do their job or doesn't want to do something, then there's no recourse to that. Uh -huh. It seems like anyway. Yeah, more and more these days. I know. I know we have to get a grip on that. Because we, we really can't function as a society uh, without accountability. Uh, no, no, we can't. Because mm -hmm. then it's just anarchy and people doing whatever the hell they want. And right. Then right. You're going to have a lot more clients. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, For a really awful reason. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. So what's next for you? Like, uh, I know you said you're, you got another book that you're going to finish up this holiday season. Yeah. So, um, um it's, uh, this one's going to be, um, well, I haven't put the title out yet, so I'm keeping that on the low for now, but, um, this one is going to be about the best ways to manage mental health, like responses to large scale incidents, disasters, um, and then there's going to be a chapter on war. And um, I'm going to use a lot of what we've done in Uvalde um, as, as examples. It's heavy lifting. It's hard work. It's not sitting in a circle doing a debriefing 72 hours later and calling it good. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of work to be done to save human beings' lives, our first responders' lives after trauma. And so this book is going to be about the best ways to, to manage those large-scale events. And I'm going to write it with, um, she, she used to be our chaplain at the practice. She now has a, a, a parish in uh, Cyprus. Her name's Christine. And she is, I'm, we're, I'm going to write for each chapter, like the clinical, and then she's going to write the spiritual. And I'm super excited because Christine had the balls to go to Ukraine this past summer. 
So she went through Poland, was in Ukraine for a bit. It was absolute mayhem, chaos, unbelievable, like shit show. And so, um, so that she's going to write the spiritual portion of each chapter. So we're going to kind of co-author this and I'm super excited because I've not really focused on that. Cause I'm not, I'm not good at putting that into words. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person of faith and I'm, I'm very spiritual, but I can't put it into the words of, of compassion and comfort that she can. And right. so, um, so I'm super excited. We're going to, we're going to co-author that and, um, and then hopefully have it ready for release by March. Cool. So. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to it. That sounds like Thank it's going to be going to be a good one. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I can't believe she went to Ukraine. Well, I can't believe I mean, there was a lot yeah. of people that went over there. And yeah, good for them. Yeah, know? I mean, yeah, I don't like to leave the country, much less go to, you know, war zones. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, we used to travel. Actually, we traveled quite a bit early on in our relationship, uh, Rachel and I. And we have no plans to to travel abroad anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's dangerous enough here. Uh -huh. I don't yeah. need to add, you know, the cartels in Mexico or, mm -hmm. you know, whoever else, wherever. Uh, yeah, so. I agree. I agree. When I have had to travel, I, when I, re when I enter the United States and I see the, the uh, office of field operations. So those customs agents in the blue, I'm just mm -hmm. like, Oh, thank God. And I'm always like smiling and I'm so happy. And I'm on the verge <laughs> of tears and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, I'm just so happy to be home. <laughs> you, you get the extra scan, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But she, she did it. She went, she went to Poland, then into Ukraine and oh man. So we were in close conver conversation every day while she was over there and it was it was really horrendous. And so, um, so I'm super excited to, to produce that book. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy reading it. So Thank it you. sounds like it's going to be pretty good. Thank you. Um, yeah. So do you have, and I hesitate to even ask for final thoughts because I feel like there's more that we could talk about, but I'm just kind of drawing a blank right now. <laughs> I would say that if I were if I were to give you a final thought, I would just really encourage your listeners to um, to not lose hope, right, and to to not give up. Um, I, I just there's so much trauma and suffering these days, and just pain and sadness, and I I hate to see people struggle and and suffer. And um, I would just tell your your listeners like to keep listening to the podcast, to reach out for help, to not give up and to know that, that, you know, people love them. America loves them. There's, there are so many people in their lives that love them and just not to ever, ever lose hope. And, and if they need help to, to test drive a few therapists until you land on the one that you feel like you can open up to and, and make that happen. Uh, definite words of wisdom. Thank you. So thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, so, well, I won't keep you for the rest of the night. So, <laughs> uh, I appreciate you being on the show. Really Thank do. You. Thanks for um, having me. Oh, no problem. Anytime you're more than welcome. And hopefully if you come on again, we'll have the other two yahoos that normally are here. Yeah. That would be nice. <laughs> I'm sure James would have a lot to say. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Well, I look forward to that. Maybe, maybe I should come on next year after the book is released. Oh, absolutely. That'd be yeah. fun. Yeah, that would, yeah, that'll be great. Okay. So awesome. we'll, I'll put it on the calendar. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be on and thanks for all you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. So we will end this episode like we do every other one. If you are struggling, reach out. There are resources out there. If you know somebody that is struggling, reach out, let them know you care, let them know what resources are out there. Um, yeah. And just, you know, keep trying, keep yeah. like Dr. Glenn said, don't be afraid to test drive a few therapists before you find the one that fits. So, cause it might need to happen that way. So right. everybody, thanks for stopping by and uh, we'll see you next time.